Greetings, this is Steve Van Cor. This is the FCCMA Podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Managers Association. Our guest today is a former member of the FCCMA, and normally I don't like to do the biography, but because Kevin Guthrie, the secretary or the director of the Department of Emergency Management for the state of Florida, is our special guest. He has a really interesting biography. Kevin, Thanks for being on the show. Oh, thank you very much for having me. So you, you, I came in, I was teasing you a little bit. I said, so you've been in law enforcement and emergency operations. For, by the way, folks, he doesn't look like he's been in it for 32 years. He looks young and youthful. Uh, that'll change after your next hurricane. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. But tell, you, 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 you said, no, I've been doing this my whole life. Yeah, I've, I, I, I have. I've been doing this my whole life. You know, I was even, um, even before the 32-year mark of my professional career, I even volunteered for about a year and a half before that as a uh, in, in an explorer program with the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. And I, you know, so I, I've been doing this my entire life. It's it's what I've wanted to do. Um, I'm, I'm kind of an interesting uh, person because I, I have a Bachelor of Arts degree in criminal justice, not a Bachelor of Science, okay. because I have a music minor. So I was either going to be a musician or I was going to be a police officer. But your family had other plans yeah, for you. Absolutely. My family, as I was mentioned to you, Steve, um, all the way back to uh, the beginnings of my family heritage, which is in Innsborough, Scotland, um, my like six, seven great-grandfather was the chief justice of that area and reported directly to King James. Folks, in case you're guessing, the King James, yep, as in the, the King, King James, James Bible. That's correct. That that's, would be it. That's really good. So, it's, so emergency management, public safety, is is really in your DNA. It is. Um, as I as I shared with you before we got on the podcast, um, you know, my my father's a police officer, my or was a retired police officer. My my brother's current police officer in Jacksonville as well. Um, my grandfather was a fire chief, um, and beyond that, I don't know. I'd have to ask my dad <laughs> exactly what everybody did. But you know, but my 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 dad's claim to fame about me and my brother is it's in our genes. It goes all the way back to uh, Scotland. So. Well, your family must be really proud of the work it, you're doing ab- right absolutely. now. Absolutely. So as we're on the verge, I mean, we're in hurricane season now, right? And uh, we've been so focused on the pandemic. Uh, you guys did a phenomenal job. I know your predecessor, Jared Moskowitz, a dear friend of mine, got a lot of coverage, but you have been here and been steadfastly behind the scenes working with Jared. And he would be the first to say, I could have not done this without Kevin Guthrie. Yeah, and he actually wrote that in, in a note to me before he left. I didn't. I, I came in the next day, found it on my desk, and you know, as I as I took over the directorship, you know, he says he he left me a note. And he says there's no way I could have done any of this without you. So, and yeah. just so you know, he also said the same thing to me privately. He said Kevin was was a rock star, and the whole team very well done, very well very well laid, very well trained. So let's our audience is county administrators, assistant county administrators, uh, city managers, assistant city managers. And we don't want to talk about the normal preparation, go get bottles of water, make sure you got charged batteries, blah, blah, blah. We want to talk about preparation of hurricanes. And I want to divide this podcast into three segments, before, during, and after. I'm a city manager. I'm an assistant city manager in charge of emergency operations. What advice can you give our audience what they should be doing now or should have already done in preparation for a hurricane? Yeah, so um, – <clears throat> The, the one thing that I would say now, or multiple things I'd say now is, you know, now's the time for training. Now's the time for exercising. And let's call it the preparedness kit for local government, right? So what do I mean by that? 
Uh, what are the things that you need to do? Like, for instance, um, on the cyber side of the house, have you? do you have some type of backup plan? Do you have a continuity plan for your cyber element um, that is – Staged off, you know, somewhere else. Uh, is it is it hosted somewhere else, or if so it, that if a building goes down, right. you don't lose your synchronicity of your lights, your electrical systems, right. etc. Absolutely. And um, <clears throat> if one of the counties that I was in as emergency manager, um, we the, the 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 process was, you know, now, again, this was about ten years ago. Was we were going to set up at a hotel somewhere else with you know the old network plugged in there to the uh, to the hotel room you know that that's rudimentary but again if you think about it in those lines or along those same lines are you hosting anything in the cloud can you push your network up to the cloud can you push that back up what is your redundancy for your network and i start with network because all of us are so dependent right now on on cyber and internet and webmail and 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 that stuff that if your you server goes down, you can't email your emergency operations team. You can't email your chief of police. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, very early on in this disaster, COVID disaster, we had an internet. We experienced an internet issue, and we were we were dark. So when we got back up and running, because we could do it for continuity reasons, we put our entire SEOC up in the cloud. So now we have that continuity capability okay. in the future. So again, from experience, I would say now's that time. Again, I know that these things cost money. I used to be an assistant county administrator, as you said, um, and things cost money. But at the same time, when something happens to your backbone system, and I say the backbone, some people, especially in the uh, in that in that IT environment, say no, it's the brain. Okay, I'll go with that one too. It's a very important it's organ. A very important organ. You've got to invest in it, right? So that's one of those things you can do. Let me get down to those a little more tacticals that don't we, cost We look any. at this like, it's like insurance. Absolutely. You better pay your insurance bill so you have it when you need it. Right. And I know that's a tough sell for when you're selling it to your constituents, to your voters, but it's a tougher sell if things aren't working after, even a minor storm. We saw a little bit of that right here in Tallahassee with her mine. Uh, we couldn't get some of the tree systems back up, some of the electrical systems. People went crazy. Right. So, yeah, that preparation, and they did a good job, really. Three days they were up and operational, but yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um, and I think another thing, you know, we, we just talked about probably spending a lot of money. Let's, let's talk about things that you can do that don't cost any money, but but are still are part of the preparations. When's the last time your agency actually did a call down list and check phone numbers? That's a really good point. We do that every month here. Our mass notification system, we do a call down and check phone numbers once a month. So does that mean like the chief of police's cell phone, the department head's cell phone, the person, the IT department's cell phone? That's exactly right. Everybody's numbers, email address, to make sure they're current because they do change. Right. Personnel change. Right. And one of the things that you just mentioned, emails. Uh, We set up something here, and I say we. I don't want to take credit for it. I'll I'll give credit where credit's due. Craig Fugate set up a continuity program when he was here that everybody set up a Gmail account that was kevin.guthrie.em at gmail.com. So in case we're in the middle of something, there was a redundant email account that we could start shooting information to. It's public, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's on a private server and whatnot. We, we, when, when, so the protocol here is if we have to implement that, if when we're back up and running, we send all of those emails that we sent and received over to the government side so that there is that, that continuity for State Statute 119 on, uh, on public records. 
Um, that's one one thing that people should be doing now. I would, if you have a mass notification system, one of the things like that a we reverse nine one one kind reverse of reverse nine one one for not just for our public, but just a lot of people do mass notification and alerts to the chief of police and those mm-hmm. department directors through that mass notification system that they have on hand. We require our state watch office once a year. They don't engage the mass notification system. You know what we do? We do it the old-fashioned way. We pick up the phone and we start the phone tree and test the fact that we can still do it the old-fashioned way. Oh, that's interesting. You know, it, I'm, I'm in reading uh, Malcolm Gladwell's David and Goliath. If you act too much like Goliath, you become mired down. You mm-hmm. have to act a little bit like David and be a little bit of a rebel. And so you sound like you're acting like a guerrilla force, a guerrilla task force, saying let's also make sure those old-school techniques of trees – Etc. are also in place as a backup. Yep, absolutely. I mean, you've got to have you. you we we're certainly a technology driven um, society. To the, the absolutely now, right, but there's going to be that time. And again, it's happened to us. You know, Colonial Pipeline. We just had three hospitals in Central Florida that ended up having to go to paper and pencil records for patient movement, patient transport, getting people in the door, getting people discharged because they got attacked and they had to go back to paper and pencil. So you, right? so what you're saying is, especially in emergency management, you know, things are going to break, things are going to shut down, uh, having a redundant system that is less technology dependent. Right. This is excellent, Kevin, by the way. This is really good, usable stuff. I'm really liking this. When you say training, what do you mean by training? What, do, what, is, what does some training look like? I'm in a mid-sized city. I'm a Crestview. I'm a Scambia County. What, is, what does training look like? So right now, what I would say training looks like is for, for government entities is not your typical, you know, I, I'm, for those that know me, and I know there's a lot of people listening right now that know me, and they know that I'm an ICS purist, right, so incident command purist. They, I think they're going to expect me to say, make sure you take ICS 100, 200, 300, 400, 700, 800. I've actually changed my mind, believe it or not. Wait, over wait, time. wait, wait. Back up. What is IC? Because we have some so, new listeners. Right. So what sure. is IC? In, the incident command system. So how do you function and run your government, and how do you run your emergency operations center in a disaster? We are required. It is a requirement post 9-11 that we run it in an incident command system, national incident management system modality. Okay. Right? We have to do that. But what we have found out, or especially me being in this chair now, the number of cities and counties that do their best, but they don't know how to do documentation. So right now is a training time to figure out how do I fill out the proper timesheet? How do I fill out the proper documentation that's going to allow me to get reimbursed on recovery, which we'll talk about later in this segment. But doing all of that necessary training on how to recover after the disaster, that stuff's got to happen now. What forms do I need to fill out? What, What is the required documentation? Again, as we're going to talk about debris as well. Uh, we're talking about rebuilding roads. What is my maintenance system? What does the maintenance records look like on my uh, my roadways, my bridges? That that government you know, that's infrastructure. In, so I'm thinking training is evacuation routes, where to go, blah blah blah. You're also saying, guys, look. Down the road, you're going to want to be reimbursed, and you can be reimbursed for this. Part of the training is to make sure when you come into the EOC on the weekend because there's a storm coming, you're logging your time so that later on, or whatever those uh, documents and forms are, later on the city can get reimbursed by FEMA and other agencies 
for those extra yep. costs. Yeah, and the very first thing FEMA's going to ask for is maintenance records. What are your maintenance records on that road? What are your making, especially dirt roads, man? That's a big thing right now, especially in the small rural county coalitions, is um, what is the maintenance record on that dirt road, right? You've got to provide so that, that FEMA's not coming in and building a new road. They're right. coming in and bringing you back to where you right. were. They, they, that is that is fundamental. The number one reason for deobligation on roads and bridges in the state of Florida and nationwide is lack of documentation of maintenance records. If we know that now. We can start making sure those maintenance records are good today before we have the disaster in the future so that we can actually have the record we need to ensure we get reimbursed. So, and so that, that is to protect FEMA from having to come in and say, oh, the hurricane wiped out this road, and we have no record that this road even was, was, was functional. It was a you know, right. dirt road. Now we want to make it a superhighway. Right. You know, I, one of the things that I think you can do, um, and, and again, I know that drones right now, you got there's so many regulations you got to you, you got to go through on on doing your um, drone pilots and things like that at the city and county level but even having just on just in time photo documentation of the condition of that roadway goes a long way to help as well so again if you've got some major roadways and you you, you know that you're probably going to get impacted why not take a drone over it and fly it if you can't do that just get send your send your local law enforcement out, send your local fire department out, send out your local public works. Take a picture of the roadway. Again, photos are really good documentation for proving what the condition of the roadway was before you received twenty inches of storm surge. Oh, that's interesting. So, so having that documentation says, "Help us build this road back to where it was." Here's proof, and Google Maps, Google Earth is not proof. That's correct because, because it's not, up to three years old. Right, so they're not time stamped. You get it done annually so to make sure your roads and your yep. your county and your city are protected so that when a yeah. storm comes uh you're able to get that thing back up and running yeah i know i know the people in flagler county and in pasco right now are saying oh my god i remember when kevin was telling me i had to go out and do this but it, it's for a reason you know if if we know why we get deobligated uh by fema and it's because of lack of documentation it's like a maintenance records it's like of using the right form those are all easy to fix they're very easy uh, in to advance, fix. In advance. In advance. advance. And you use the word de-obligation. That means they're not going to pay you for that. That's correct. Okay, that makes sense. So anything else before? I think you covered the gamut. Well, I like I mean, it because I, yeah. it, we, we have a we lot of— We could do an entire show on what we can do before, but yeah. those are the big takeaways. Those, are, those, those things right there are going to lead to big money, right? Those are going to—not having a, a cyber backup system is going to lead to costing your agency a lot of money. Not doing the proper training and getting, getting a hold of your staff— and being able to get them back to work is going to cost you money. Not doing the documentation that you need to do for the disaster is going to cost you big money. So I really focus on those things that are going to be big money takeaways that are going to cost local governments a lot of money. And does your uh, this is a, a statement, a question out of pure ignorance. Does DEM offer formal training for cities and counties to? to yes, absolutely. Our, our Bureau Chief, uh, Melissa Shira, and her staff, Public Assistance Officer uh, Buck Dickinson, be more than happy to come out and, and host uh, a training at the local level. You know, we try to, when we go somewhere, we want to get as many people there to the training sure. as we can so that uh, we can take advantage of that. And again, you know, I've already talked to um, the folks at FCCMA, the Florida Association County Florida, Florida League of Cities. We, the Division Emergency Management, are committed. The other thing that a lot of people don't realize in, at, at FAC, FCCMA, and Florida League of Cities is, when's the last time you had a former assistant county administrator sitting in the director's chair 
at the Florida Division of Emergency Management? Yeah. The right. answer is never. Yeah, never. Never. That's a really good point. So you come from an administrative, a local government administrative background and saying, guys, look, there's money out there for you to rebuild, but you've got to get ahead of it, paperwork, documentation, backup systems. And if that happens, and God forbid you get hit by a storm, at least you've got the opportunity and the ability to get done ahead of time. What about uh, prearranged contracts with debris removal, monitoring companies, et cetera? What what, what is some advice you give on those things? Yeah, absolutely. So you need to have all of those staged already. If you don't have those, you need to start getting it to your contracting section, get an RFP out uh, for your, your jurisdiction to do your debris monitoring, to do your debris removal. At a minimum, you need that. Um, and again, the reason you want to do that is you cannot do an emergency contract in the middle of a disaster because what you're going to face as a, since I used a lot to of competition, be there, yeah. number one, you're going to face competition, but number two, you're going to face scrutiny from your local public because you're going to be tied up 72, 96 hours, maybe 120 hours on trying to get an RFP done while debris is just stacked up on the side of the roadway and you can't move it. That's a relatively unpopular thing when garbage starts to fill that up is, on the side is, of the road. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, um, any, anything else in regards to uh, pre-contracts? And what I'm thinking here is if I'm in Escambia, uh, it's unlikely a storm is going to hit Volusia at the same time as it hits Escambia. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of local governments have mutual interlocal aid. agreements, yep. mutual aid agreements. Explain what a mutual aid agreement is and, and why it's so important. Yeah, so all 67 counties are signatories of the statewide mutual aid agreement already. Um, that's something that we make sure happens every year through the local county emergency management agency. Where, we're, where we fall short is at the, at the League of Cities or the city level. Um, I want everybody to know that you can request assistance through your county up to the state for assistance. And we can, and we've done this. We did this in Hurricane Michael. We had people from Volusia County uh, Public Works and, and Jacksonville Electric Authority and, and other entities uh, that really fall underneath um, city county governments come over and help out. Um, but they've got to be signatories of the Florida statewide mutual aid agreement, which is housed and hosted by the Florida Division of Emergency Management. If there's anybody right now that does not know if you're a signatory of the statewide mutual aid agreement, um, I would say now reach out to us um, and find out if you are. Again, we'll give. I'm sure you'll give some links uh, on on some contact information yeah, yeah. Uh, with this. Uh, the time to do, even if you don't know, if there's a question mark, you're a city manager. Make you're, sure. You're, it, make sure. I, again, counties, your emergency management director does this every year. It's a requirement of their scope of work for grant funding at the city and town level. It's not. It's not a requirement. No, and I, you know, part of that, of course, is 411 municipalities. Right. About 370 of them are very small. We, you know, other other states might call them towns or villages. Right. We lump everybody in as a city. So right. whether if you're Micanopy or something, you know, Crawfordville is not a municipality, but it's something as small as Crawfordville. You're in that, and so you have a very very small government and may not have the capacity to know how to do all these things, but you guys offer that assistance. Yeah, we offer that assistance. We have a statewide mutual aid coordinator here. That the, Their only job is to do statewide mutual aid. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So tell me, okay, now we've gone from the before, during, uh, storms coming. What, what is some advice you can give to 
local government when a storm is it's, it's imminent. Let, so let's uh, so I, I want to talk about that in the imminent it's li- imminent landfall, mm-hmm. and then I want to actually talk about the time that the storm's impacting. Okay. I, if, if we can talk about that, because there's some things that you can do while things are going on. You can talk about whatever okay. you want. All right, very good. Thank you. <laughs> so you know, storms imminent. So we are now at that point where. Um, you've got those last-minute evacuation orders. You've got those last-minute things that you need to go out and check and make sure people's welfare. But you also got to remember, you know, I had to make a very po- unpopular decision um, at, in Pasco County at the local level about ceasing emergency services. That nothing weighs on my mind more than when the time comes for me to have to cease those emergency services. So um, think about when that happens for you. It should, it should be in policy. So that's something else. It's a prep factor, but it falls into the... So what do you mean by infected. cease emergency services? What does so, that mean? So, for instance, in the counties that I came from before, when the, when the uh, sustained winds reach 45 miles an hour sustained, which means one minute or longer, we do not send out emergency services because fire engines can blow over, rescue units can blow over, law enforcement officers have no business standing out on the side of the road trying to handle a traffic crash with 45-mile-an-hour sustained winds. You know, the last thing we ever want to have happen is a branch falls off a tree and it gets carried and it hits a police officer in the, in the, in the head and unfortunately kills a police officer. So, right? so you know, it's funny because you hear this, well, why, don't, why not declare a state of emergency? Why not do this? Why not? Because there's a trade-off here, which is mm-hmm. if, we're, if we're considering this a state of emergency, 45-mile-an-hour sustained winds, you want to protect those who protect us yeah, you have because to. the moment the storm's gone, you're going to need those fire trucks, you're going to need those police, you're going to need those public safety officers in full force, right. 100%, directing traffic, cleaning up this, directing. Okay. That's correct. And, and, and so somebody somebody at your local EOC or somebody in, in city administration, if you don't have an EOC, has got to be monitoring those winds and has got to make some decisions of when we're going to cease operations. Right. And, your, and your point is make sure this is in policy so yep. somebody's not having to make a subjective decision like right. you see in the movies, you know, but your mother is calling 911. Don't suspend me. Nope, this is yep. the policy. This is what we've decided. Yep. You've, and, and again, you've got to you, – that's got to be in the comprehensive emergency management plan for the city, for the county is when are you going to cease operations and then you've got to – you know, uphold that. The hardest thing to do, you know, I used to be over a 28 fire, a 28 station fire department, try to tell a firefighter they can't go out and save somebody's life. You know, that, that's a difficult thing to do, but you gotta, you gotta keep them stood down. You gotta keep them in place so that you don't jeopardize those uh, firefighters that, you know, that, and that engine officer to, and rescue officer to go out there and, and do something that may endanger their lives. Well, right? and, the, and the fact of the matter is, if they do and that truck blows over and kills several people, you've created a worse situation. Yep, so absolutely. That is a really difficult decision right. to do. Anything else? What else during the storm? The storm's here. Again, you, that, that storm is bearing down. You've got to do some, you've got to make sure your messaging is right. There may come a point in time that people are trying to evacuate and they're in a they're in harm's way and they may be in more harm's way by getting on the road with 45 mile an hour winds you may want to tell them just stay in place if you right? haven't left by now yeah. you need down. to shelter in place here's some things that you should do so have those messages canned and ready to go if you did not because you know every county administrator on this call every city manager on this call that's ever been through any type of disaster in their city or their county has had those individuals that just refuse to leave there comes a point in time and i don't think that we do a good job of this of communicating you have made a decision to stay here's the best thing you can do 
you know, if something starts to happen, get to an interior portion of your house, get as low as you possibly can, put stuff over the top of your head, take a mattress, put it over the top of your head, try to do everything you possibly can do to protect yourself because you, again, you made the choice to stay. We're going to try to give you some ideas of how to, um, to, to help yourself not get injured anymore. Than and is it largely be. a judgment call in that gray area between get the heck out, evacuate, right. Now, suddenly, if you haven't left, I mean, that, yeah. that's got to be a judgment call, right? It is. The I speed mean, you, of the storm, you, again, the direction of the storm. You've got to take all those things into consideration, the miles per hour of wind. Do you have to cross a bridge to get out of harm's way or not? There's all kinds of factors that go into that. But again, every city manager, every county administrator got to look at their jurisdiction and figure out what those messages are at the last minute, right? And again, it may be that if you're on a barrier island, the risk is better to just go ahead and try to get over that bridge and go ahead and get out of there versus stay in place. But again, if you're not on a barrier island and you're you know, maybe one or two miles inland, it may be better for you to just hunker down and stay in place because you made a decision to stay there. But again, that's going to depend on every jurisdiction. Yeah, I had and, a place at St. George Island, and I remember we had these, these these shingles to put up during a storm. We never one time put them up in 25 years because by the time we decided, okay, the storm was coming, Right, they were evacuating the island. We weren't allowed to go back out again because it's it's that that very difficult gray area. Is it going to come? And then at that point, you're like, oh, let's just hope it doesn't. Uh, of course, you want it to fade because you don't want to say, I hope it goes west because then you're wishing bad things right. bad things on other people. So uh, after the storm's over, um, hopefully your debris removal teams are in place. Hopefully your other emergency operations. Hopefully your Firefighters, your police officers, other public safety officers had hunkered down and are ready to be deployed. What are some of the first things you should do when that storm passes through? You're going to be surprised at what I'm going to say. We, for the, this has never been guidance ever from the Florida Division of Emergency Management. We're getting ready to start. You're getting it here out. first. You're folks. getting it here first. <laughs> Have your debris removal teams stop and look at the roadway. That's the main thing I'm going to tell people on this call today, or on the podcast. Your infrastructure is on one side of the road, typically. Push the debris to the opposite side of the road. It's going to make life so much easier for the line crews and the people rehabbing the internet. Such common sense based on experience. But I am telling you right now, you know, my friends in Bay County right now, Bob Micah listening to this, he's he's probably jumping jumping up and down and saying, "Yes, yes, absolutely. We cut fiber so many times in Bay County. Because we were taking fi- a fiber line, a right, right, fiber right. line, we cut. We would cut the same line six, seven, eight times in a given day because we were pushing debris onto the infrastructure side of the roadway, and those limbs would penetrate the ground, splice a fiber line. Now, doesn't that cut? Shouldn't that come in for your? So, so I know these debris removal companies. There's very few of them, and they're very big. Aren't they trained in don't dump stuff onto infrastructure? No. So again, we're going to change that. <laughs> we're going to change that. We're actually going to put that guidance out to, to debris removal companies throughout the state of Florida. If you do business in the state of Florida, you're doing debris removal in the state of Florida. Stop. It only takes five seconds to look at the road and say the power poles are on the north side of the road. We need to push all the debris to the south side of the to road. To get that road open without causing further yeah, we, damage. Because we want to do that. Because we, you know, we can't move fire vehicles. We can't move rescue vehicles. We can't move the National Guard. We can't move law enforcement until the roads are open. So the first people out there is what we call, some people call them cut and toss teams, some of them call them ERATs, emergency road access teams, whatever your jurisdiction calls them. Before you put that front end loader out there with the public works department or a actual debris removal company, 
have your public works, have your road and bridge crews, have your contracted teams, pause. It doesn't take five seconds to look and say, huh, I need to push this debris to the other side of the roadway because it'll make that power restoration so much faster when we're not having to pull debris that we pushed over to the side of the road out of the power You're lines. making the situation worse. It's funny because a lot of what you're saying is doing things to not make other things worse. worse. Yes. Whether it's having a backup, having a Gmail account, stopping your law enforcement from going out, uh, and now this is don't make things right. worse. Yeah, and, and nine times out of ten, uh, and I, I won't say it's one ten times out of ten, but nine times out of ten, the fire hydrants are on the same side of the roadway that the infrastructure is on. The last thing you want to do is take a debris pile and put it in front of a fire uh, in, in front of a fire hydrant when something catches on fire and you can't get the fire hydrant to get water into the area. You know, it, I mean, it's just common sense stuff, but nobody's actually taking the time to put it in guidance, put it in writing, and require our debris removal companies just to, in, in our road and bridge and so on and so forth, to actually take the time to stop five seconds. Just look at where no, the power and it, it, it makes sense. I mean, listen, we have to come in and clear out Main Street. You go, okay, let's start moving stuff out of Main Street, and you don't, you're right, you don't even think about the, that minor but really major thing, which is <laughs> don't put it on yep. other things that are going to, or the 5G boxes that are going to start interrupting cell service, et cetera. Put it in a way that right there, right then, right at that moment to, right. to continue to protect public safety. What else? This is really good. What else? So, so the next thing that I would say um, is communication. you got to start your communication message as soon as you possibly can. To the public you, or to, to each the, other? To, to the public and to internal. you got to start your internal communication. Check on your employees. You know, um, I, I'm going to give Dan Biles uh, in Pasco County. He was my uh, mentor as a county administrator as well as Michelle Baker. But, um, you know, Dan was really, really adamant about we're going to check on our people. We had this thing in Pasco, people, purpose, performance, passion, right? Um, people. It had to be P in Pasco you, you, County. Yeah, it had to be yeah. P in Pasco County. He, he had three P's. I added the fourth one of passion. <laughs> so um, we, we joke about that all the time when we see each other. But, um, again, people. You cannot do anything in your county or your city without your people. So first line of communication internal, check on your people. Start calling those call-down trees. Send out that mass notification. Are you okay? Hit one for yes. If you need help, hit two. And if they say they need help, get people to them. Okay. Right? So that that's, that's the first thing that I would do in my internal. While simultaneously, somebody will be assigned to external comms. You don't know if you're communicating or not, but you got to try. Right. To the public. To the public. You don't know if they've got internet. You don't know if they've got radio. You don't know if they've got TV. You don't, and you, you know, don't in, know, in today's just era, you have to use it on all. Yep. You have to be multi-platform. You have to yep. be sending texts, phone messages, on TV, on radio, right. everything but flying an airplane over, yep. the, over the city. Absolutely. Um, another thing that I would say is, you know, check, don't forget to check the status of your 911 centers. We found this out in Hurricane Michael. We lost several 911 centers in Hurricane Michael. The centers themselves the were destroyed centers by the storm. Well, the, the centers themselves lost antennas. They lost communication oh. capability. Their fiber lines were cut. They couldn't use 911. What is, again, city county managers listening to this, what is your redundancy to try to take in emergency calls, emergency information where somebody needs help? Is that, you know, we've, we've often talked about ham radio, right, in, in the emergency management vein. Not everybody obviously has ham radio, but what is, how are you going to communicate down to the micro level in areas that have been hit and have 
No cell phone service. No uh, copper telephone wire. I mean, that doesn't even. I don't even know that that exists anymore, right? Because everything's now internet based. It's um, wireless yeah. based. It's fiber based. You know, what happens if you can't do that? How do you get out there? So, again, most agencies haven't been a former cop. It's that door-to-door, knock on the door. Are you okay? Do you need service? Again, lots of things have to happen simultaneously at the same time. you got to get those emergency road access crews out there, get the roads open, get your law enforcement out there, doing door-to-door knocks. Looking, you know, your fire rescue folks are going to be looking for structure collapses. They're they're not going to be the door-to-door knockers. Let the law enforcement do that. The fire rescue is looking for stuff that's damaged and down. They need to get into those locations and see if there's people trapped or injured. Okay, interesting. Interesting. So, again, um, these are all things that people are going to have to do right after the storm. Another thing that I would ask— By the way, I want to pause you a second. You know, we have CIOs, PIOs listening in. And for them, that's an interesting challenge because their challenge these days is the multi-platform world we now live in. You used to send out a press release via fax that took care of it, but now you have to hit all those channels. And what's interesting is people only believe things they hear twice, right? So I heard it on the radio and I got it on my Twitter feed. And your point is really well taken. You don't know what they have or don't have after. They may have all of it. They may have none of it, but you have to distribute your constant messaging about law enforcement is here, the storm has passed, we we understand you're out of power, we'll be getting it restored as soon as possible, doing all those things in real time across multiple platforms. Right. And, you know, I'm going to just share for our rural counties, um, I I was deployed in either 09 or 10 for uh, the north central Florida uh, flooding in in Hamilton and Madison counties. One of the things that they did, which was very, very effective, because they were right in the middle of a media market that doesn't exist, right? right? They're in between Jacksonville, they're in between Tallahassee, they're in between Valdosta, and nobody really services them right and the Gainesville market goes south yes right so they moved to a church billboard school billboard messaging program I love that they they put messages on church you know if you need water go here if you need service go there if you need help call this number if you can't call you know come to the church or whatever that whatever that message was they got really really basic with their messaging and you know it, it was a, it was a success. Uh, I love that, that because that it says while we have all this incredible technology, all these different ways to communicate, there's still the old school way. Yep. I mean, I mean you, you've mentioned it's interesting how you've mentioned some of those uh, police officers knocking on doors. That's that's old school, right? Mm-hmm. Putting something up on a marquee at a Seven Eleven or a church. That's old school. Uh, good for them. Uh, yep, it's absolutely. really interesting. So, again, as we move into that post-disaster, what are the things that we should be doing? The last, or I shouldn't say the last thing, but one of the last things I would say that's uh, very, very key and crucial is start your documentation process. Start taking photographs. Start making sure you're, you're documenting who is doing what, where, and when, and why. All right? And, and I, 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 I use this when I was teaching in Pasco and, and Flagler, and, I, you know, You've got to get to the point. It's not okay to say that this, you know, this road and bridge crew did um, emergency road access work on Main Street. We've got to get to the level of John Smith and John Doe were in truck number one, two, three, assigned to Main Street from the unit block to the one thousand block and cleared approximately four tons. Four. You know, well, I wouldn't go down to tons, but we re- we removed approximately a hundred trees. 14 power poles. You know, it's got to be a little more descriptive. You got to be able to tell the story for FEMA about why you did what you did in that emergency mode. You know, law enforcement officers are really, really good at telling a story. 
Fire rescue. They have to look, do it every day. Yeah, they have to do it every day. Fire rescue is a, is good. They're not quite as good as law enforcement, and that's not because I was a law enforcement officer. It's just that you know it, when you're going and testifying in front of court all the time, you you get used to doing a little right. more detailed work. Right. Fire rescue does document what they do, but unfortunately, there's not a lot of documentation that we require of public works. And their area is probably one of the most important areas. You know, we we you know, we do get, send them out every day, and they they have a work bill that they fill out. And you know, you need to go replace a pole at here. Yes, I went to this location. I replaced that pole, but that's about the extent of their documentation. We got to get better at getting road and bridge, public works, stormwater engineering. Those those individuals better at documenting. Well, what and plus, doing. when you have some areas are a lot easier to load up on a lot of trees. You know, Leon County's in the Apalachicola National Forest, and we know there was some dispute about some debris removal where. They were loading up trees in the forest or near the forest or not on county or state or city exactly. roads and bringing them to the to the drop-off area, and there was no documentation where that came from. Yep. And so what happens? FEMA says, we're not going to reimburse right. you for it. So you paid for that debris. You didn't get paid for it. So documentation, make sure you have it up front and then during the process. And you have a, uh, you've made sure your folks are documenting it to the point where yep. FEMA will go – well done. We like this. Here's yeah. a check. I, I remember when I was in Flagler and also over in uh, in, uh, in Pasco, but I told I remember having this conversation like it was yesterday with Heidi Petito, uh, who's the uh, public works director there in uh, in, uh, in Flagler County. And I said, Heidi, the very first thing we're going to do if a disaster happens is we're going to go buy a bunch of GoPro video cameras and we're going to put them on the front of every public works truck and we're going to hit the record button so that it keeps a running documentation of what they did. It may not be that we want to scribe it right then. We can go back later on. We can go back if we got the video. We got. We can go back if we got the pictures. Body cams for debris removal. Exactly. I love it. <laughs> and, and you talk about telling the story. Yeah. It's one thing to send FEMA a piece of paper and say, "Hey, I did this, and I want to get reimbursed." It's a whole different thing to send them a piece of paper with an attached photo that says, "I did this," or a downloadable link to say, "Watch yeah. the video of us cleaning off Main Street." Yeah. And by the way, when we cleaned off Main Street, we didn't dump the stuff on our own lines. That's correct. <laughs> That's correct. And I mean, and and, and honestly. For the purposes of your documentation, and, and oh yeah, by the way, the GoPros are covered under FEMA Category B expenses, so you can actually get reimbursed for those. Oh, cool. Absolutely. Then you now spend you, you spend that little bit of money up front, which you're going to get reimbursed. And when I say a little but bit of money- you're not going to get reimbursed if you don't have a storm. That's correct. No, okay. that, that's, that, that's correct. Unless you're declared and you, have, you meet your thresholds, that's correct. Good, so you good can point. buy the GoPros. You yep. may or may not get reimbursed for them. And right. we don't want to mean the brand, uh, something right, right, akin right. to a GoPro. Some, some, ty- some type of video or still camera imaging that you can just simply, every time you turn a corner, you go to a different road, click. Just get some, and that that technological infrastructure is reimbursable in the event you have a storm, yes. flood. Okay, interesting. Yes, absolutely, and and again, it will save headaches, a lot of headaches when it comes to the reimbursement process because now you've got, you know, you, you went out and you did your mm-hmm. pre-disaster photos and took some pictures and had your maintenance records. Now you've got the post-disaster side of the house, and you've done that. Other some some bigger jurisdictions have drone programs. Take that drone and fly that road. Right? Oh, that makes the most sense. Yeah. I mean, that's very quick, very easy to do. Um, you know, I think in Pasco County, we had the uh, libraries department that actually had a drone program. 
And uh, they they were ready and saddled with going out and running uh, uh, drones over. You know, roadways. they must have loved that. If I'm, uh, you know, you're in the library, uh, you know, it's got to be a little boring sometimes. Although very interesting, especially what's happening in library yep. science right now. But now you get to send out your drone and record the road after a disaster. Very interesting footage, by the way. I yeah, ab- absolutely. And that, and that was a part of their STEM program that they did in after-school programs and, and magnet programs with the uh, Pasco County Library Oh, system. that's fantastic. It is. That's fantastic. It's, it's, it is. It, it's, it's absolutely. You know, there's things that we do on a day-to-day basis. I didn't even plan on saying this, but I'll give it a little plug. There are things that our systems, our libraries, our after-school programs, all, all these things that are part of government that do on a day-to-day basis that have a disaster tie-in we just got to think about never it thought how about can that. you know i, I would tra- i would charge everybody that's out there in, in whatever vertical you're in whether you're in developmental services human services community services emergency services look at your entire vertical and see check everything you do and see does this have a does this have something so, that i, could so tie into I want to pause on that for a second response? because we talked earlier a little bit about small cities right what you're saying here is, okay, you're a small city, and you, if you think in a silo that who's my emergency management department, it might be one person who's also the parks and rec director, who's also the such and such. What you're saying is, guys and gals, you've got a lot of assets at your disposal. Put on your thinking cap and think, oh, our library team. I mean, if I'm Baker County, for example, very tiny little county, right? But they do have a library system. And they can find ways to deploy that. So if I'm a small uh, municipality, what you're saying is put on your thinking cap, be a little inventive and find ways to loop in all of your departments into emergency management. Because let's face it, in the event of a storm, a Hurricane Michael, um, Mariana is not going to be having an open open house at the library that weekend. Mary, there's certain government services that are not going to be working. If you can right. deploy them, get them pre-trained for emergency management, then, and I think this is, listen, it's a, first and foremost, saving lives. Secondly, saving infrastructure. But third, getting reimbursed for the work you do has got to be up there. And it sounds to me like if you're deploying other parts of your small government, then you've 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 shown efficiency to your taxpayers and to the and to the yeah, feds. Abs- absolutely. I mean, everybody talks about the response, the response, the response. I would say it's the response and the recovery. We're going to get judged by how we respond and recover. You know, it's it's one thing to respond in the first seventy two, ninety six, one hundred twenty hours on on those Cat Five storms, but. You, you can certainly ask our friends out in, in, in Bay County. And oh, you mentioned Bob Micah. Yeah. Just getting yeah. the labor pool back into Panama right. City. A, certain, a quick sidebar. Uh, I have a son moved to was going to move to L.A. And a son was going to go to uh, be a JAG officer in Tyndall. And he was looking for an apartment. It was a three-month stand. It was a training program. And we could not find an apartment in Bay County for the same price as Burbank, California. That's how much they have a shortage of housing out there yeah, right now. Absolutely. And, and, and again, I, again, been an assistant county administrator. I understand that, you know, bridging that gap and trying to make sure we're meeting the needs of our residents and getting them back to a normal way of life. I mean, that's, that's the last phase of the emergency management phase is, is on this disasters. I got to get things back to normal or as much as I possibly can because there's only going to be so much time that people will allow us 
to, you know, yep, that, that's a 30-foot debris pile. Yep. I get it. It's going to take some time. But at some point in time... We're going to get nervous about there, it. People are going to start complaining. They're starting to start knocking on your door. They're going to start getting to a point where you can't do your job effectively because you're having to handle all the constituent issues. Yep. Right? And we've got to be able to do that. And I would say it's going to be even more difficult. I think the number one challenge facing emergency managers, and I want to talk a little bit about emergency managers and their role before we get off this. Okay. But... Um, the number one problem facing emergency managers and therefore facing county and city managers is how do we respond to emergencies and catastrophic incidents in an Amazon culture? Everybody's ex- and what I mean by that I is I know exactly what you mean. Everybody by that. is used to getting it next day at the latest. Well, we saw that with Hurricane Hermine in Leon County. In one neighborhood, but the Benton neighborhood, we had thirty seven trees down on Power poles, okay? That's just one little neighborhood. Yet we were at 90% capacity within three days. But in the Amazon culture, in the instant delivery culture, people were mad. I have friends who lived in South Florida. It's like during Hurricane, name it, okay? There was so mm-hmm. many for a period from 2005, 2008. And we're like, we would go two weeks without running water. You guys are complaining because you don't have Wi-Fi after three days. Right. And, and th- these are things that are going to continue to plague us. But we've got to figure out how we manage those expectations. Again, I don't think, Steve, that we do a good enough job pre-disaster. We know something's coming. We should be messaging. So if there's any comms person out there listening to me today, at that pre-disaster, we missed this, and I'm glad we're talking about it now, set the expectation at the pre. While you've got everybody, look, it may take us a week to get things back up and running. You need to be self-sufficient for three, five, seven days. It's going to take us. And if you live further out, it's probably going to take us longer if to get that done. If you live in a cul-de-sac in an empty neighborhood, you're going to be one of the last ones. We've got to get the hospitals right. up. We've got to get the right. centers of commerce up. We've got we, to get main traffic and again, up. Again, we don't, we don't say that. No. We don't message that. It's okay to message that. It really is. That's it's an important point. People, uh, people manage will understand. People will certainly understand. I've got to get the hospital power back on. I got to get the jail power back on. I get the, got to get the fire station power back on. I got to get the nine one one center back on. Right? They'll understand that. We just have to communicate it. Right? And we're and I and I, I don't really know that we're point. I don't know that we're scared to communicate it or, or just what it is. But we've got to do a better job of managing and not just managing, as you said, setting the expectation. I think we got to set the expectation, and we, we try to manage it and say, "Ah, we're going to we're going to do our best." No, we need to set it. It's going to be probably a hard five or seven days. Well, again, going back to Leon County, if you look at Leon County, we love our trees. Okay, absolutely, we love watching them grow up on canopy roads. We love all that stuff, but that comes at a price. It does, especially when you want to be a low lower tax. You don't want to move all those utilities underground, especially with the high water table. It may not be the greatest idea, but then when trees fall down. Power lines fall down. When power lines fall down, you're out of Wi-Fi. Now, it is funny because it was almost a sense people were more mad they were out of Wi-Fi than they were out of water. Yes. Uh, which is more of a lifeline, right? I, yep, I go on a desert island. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have no Wi-Fi. What's going on here? So, uh, Kevin, uh, Director of Emergency Management, any final comments? This has been fantastic. Yeah. I, I, in closing, I would say this, um, and, and I'm, I'm going to say this from a heart of love as a former assistant county administrator. Listen to your local county emergency manager. Listen to your local city emergency manager. You hired a police chief. You hired a fire chief because they have an expertise and a skill set. You've hired an emergency manager. Please listen to them. Let them help you and let them guide you through the disaster. 
I think sometimes some of our emergency management staff, because I've, I've seen it. I've been now up here for three years, and I have seen where certain counties, certain cities, you know, which will go, go nameless, don't necessarily put a lot of faith and trust in their emergency manager. You wouldn't do that to your fire chief. Don't do it to your emergency manager. Give them the support that they need. Listen to what they're saying. Heed their advice. That's their job. I can hear cheers going out all over the state from emergency managers. Well, I, I hope so. You know, I, I and you I know they're also saying Jared, Jared, who? Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know that they'll be saying that anytime soon. But you know, again, this has been my life's blood. You know, I had 24 years as a local law enforcement officer. Last eight of those were assigned as the emergency preparedness coordinator to the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office, and then I've been emergency manager uh, or emergency services director or public safety assistant county administrator. Now the uh, state director here. It's in my blood. You know, I've been in a very, very fortunate situations where people have listened to me. Well, I got to tell you, brother, your your passion shows, yeah. your intellect shows, that. your experience shows. And I, I, Governor DeSantis chose well. Thank, well, thank you. you, thank you I for your service. That. I know you don't do this for the big bucks. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being with us. All right. This is Steve VanCor. Thank you for joining us. And this is the FCCMA podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Managers Association.